friends, is the, the love of God. It is unstoppable. And no one or nothing can stop him from his radical mission to save and restore all the earth. Everything in heaven, everything on the earth, everything above, everything below. That is the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Gives me goosebumps when I see it. It leads us into our theme of the book of Acts, right? Um, We've been looking at that, and I'm hoping now that our theme has more meaning than it did when I first taught it to us. Now that we've seen the first, we're going to look into Acts chapter 11 today, the first 11 chapters of the book of Acts. How many of you or who can maybe recite the theme of the book of Acts? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, we'll say it together, okay? Okay. The theme of the book of Acts, the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ through his church by the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That is the overall theme of the book of Acts, and that's what this video that we saw depicted so beautifully. So what I'm hoping, as I said before, is that that now we're starting to understand that theme even more. Maybe it was just words in the beginning. Maybe it sounded like a seminary lesson, uh, a theology class, which is, where, which is where I got it from. But hopefully now that we're starting to, to go through now, almost halfway through the, the, really just about halfway through the book of Acts, it's beginning to really open up for us. We're beginning to understand what that really means. And so what I want to do is just take just a couple minutes with us this morning And just briefly, before we go into Acts chapter 11, just briefly review that theme, possibly with a little more in-depth now, maybe with a little more understanding than we we did when we first heard that theme. So I want to work backwards from our theme. And so the goal then is your first fill-in is to the ends of the earth, right? If you work backwards in our theme, that the goal is from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so you see that there's a, there's a what? There's an outward expansion, right, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, which we're still doing in missions today. We're still going out to the outskirts, the remote villages, the places that are not yet reached. We're still part of that outward expansion. It started with the Jews, and we saw now in chapters 8 uh, to the, the half-breed Jews, the Samaritans, if you will, and then in chapters uh, 10 We've got uh, Cornelius, the Gentiles, and now in chapter 11, we're going to see that the gospel is going to be given to the Greeks. And so we see this outward expansion. The movement is always outward, and Luke, in the book of Acts, is, is often challenged to justify this mission. See, remember that Christianity started with the Jews, right? Jesus was Jewish. So, so he's always got to, in the book of Acts, he's got to justify this outward mission, because to them, this was taboo. Right to them, it just it just wouldn't make any sense to what, why would we go to the unclean people, if you will, and so so he, his justification is this that it's always been the plan. See, so so Luke is always he's looking back through Peter, he's looking back through Peter's sermons, he's he's looking back, he's pointing back to scriptures, the Old Testament, that it's always been the plan that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth, not just not just be contained with the Jewish people. Look at me on the screen in Luke 2.32. He is a light to reveal God to the what? To the nations. And he is the glory of your people Israel. He is both 
to the Jews and the Gentiles. So it's almost like when, when you hear scripture to say the gospel to the, to the Gentiles, it's, it's also, you might want to add an also there, to, to the Jews and the Gentiles also. It's not, not, not to the Jews anymore, but it's for all people. It's an outward, outward expansion. And I think it causes us to, to, to realize that, that outreach then is, is not an option for the Christian church, right? So, so we looked in our sermon series in the book of Acts as roots and stems. It's where we get our roots from. So outreach is not optional, right? If it's the design from the beginning, outreach is the plan. It's the way the church is the church. There's no option to it. It's the way God designed it, if you will. And in that, the, the problem with that is that, that church growth or church outreach doesn't just happen, see? See, the, 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 new, uh, the New Testament believers, and in, in, in we looked in the first few chapters of Acts, they didn't just sit around and wait for people to come, right? What did they do? They went out. And they kept going out, led by the Holy Spirit, they kept going out to reach more and more people for the gospel. Now, we might want to say, you know, why doesn't God just do it himself, right? He could. Why doesn't God just grow the church? Why, why can't we just wait for God to move and receive? Well, the problem is that God designed his church to grow through his people. And in fact, that's not a problem, that's a privilege, right? That God has chosen his people to work through for this incredible plan to redeem the entire world. He's chosen us to be his vessel. And so, so as we look at, at what it means to be a Christian church, we have to understand that, 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 that outreach is not optional. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing as Christians individually as well as the church, to outreach, to expand, to go out with the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplace, in our schools? What are we doing? See, because that's the design, and we've seen this now for a consistent pattern for the first, you know, we're going to see through chapter 11, 11 chapters of of Acts. That's the plan. Then the motivating force, if you will, is by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's the motivating force. That's what changes our hearts and motivates us to do it. See, left to ourselves, we just want to wait around and let God do the work, right? We're all, we're all lazy. We all, we all get comfortable. We all don't want to stretch ourselves beyond people that we're comfortable with. You look at how Peter has been stretched and how all the disciples were stretched. And none of us, that's not natural for us to go to people that are different than us, people that we don't like. But the motivating force here is the power of the Holy Spirit who is what? Who's changing our hearts and helping us to understand God's plan. And so the motivating force, uh, look with me on the screen, Acts 2.33. says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see in here today. So see, this is the plan. Peter spoke this at Pentecost, right? That Jesus died on the cross so that he could give us the Holy Spirit as a motivating force for the plan. The Holy Spirit, as you've probably noticed, is mentioned over and over and over in the book of Acts. I think it's in some sense one reason why churches for a long time didn't even look at the book of Acts. They thought it scared people because it talked so much about the Holy Spirit. But as we begin to study the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand and not get so scared of who he is and what he's doing in our lives and in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is, is a central force in the book of Acts. It's mentioned, by the time we get to the end, he's going to be mentioned 60 times. 
This is actually nothing new. The Holy Spirit is central in creation. If you go back to Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit was there. All through the prophets, the Holy Spirit is there. Christ's uh, immaculate conception, the Holy Spirit is there. Christ acts in the power of the Spirit, and then Christ dies, resurrected, ascended, and he sends the Holy Spirit to what? To finish his work. See? He's the central motivating force of the plan. We also notice through the book of Acts, we see another pattern with the Holy Spirit. And the pattern is this, is that, that individual reception of the Holy Spirit based on faith in Christ is the way into the church. It's the way into the kingdom. When I say church, I don't just mean um, the building. I don't just mean an official organization. It can include those things, but it's bigger than that. When I mean church, I mean the kingdom of God. The, the still church is made up of those who submit themselves under the authority of Christ by faith. So that's what I mean when I say the church. It could include us. I hope it includes us, but it's much bigger than that. So we look and we see that entrance into the church is always marked by what? Personal reception of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. It's nothing that liturgy gives us. It's nothing that the law gives us. It's nothing that a book of rules gives us. We, we can't earn it. We can't merit it. We can't disagree with our heads. It's something that we receive personally by placing our faith in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. In many ways, it's what it means to be evangelical. You know, our, our denomination is what? The Evangelical Covenant Church, right? So what does it mean to be evangelical? There's a lot of confusion out there because I think, unfortunately, politics have just kind of messed up that word, Right? But if you go back before politics messed it all up, you find the real strength of being evangelical. One of its strengths is that it, it, it builds itself on this foundation, that, that, that in order to be saved, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, every single person has to enter into a personal faith relationship with the living Lord. Every single person then receives the Holy Spirit individually. It's not just something we can do as a group. It's something we all have to do. That's part of what it means to be evangelical. We all need to come to God by faith. We also learn in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is also confirmation that the progress of the gospel is not man-made, right? If, if, if the Holy Spirit is the central motivating force of the gospel, we learn through the first 11 chapters, especially today too, that, that it, the church, the universal church, the local church is not man-made. It may have a charter, it may have a constitution, it may have a building, but the church is made by God. The church belongs to God. The church is God's, not ours. It's made by the Holy Spirit, and it's continued by the Holy Spirit. This is crucial for understanding because Luke confirms this over and over. You know, the author of Acts, Luke, is always confirming this. why he mentions the Holy Spirit so much. He wants us to understand this is a movement of the Spirit. This isn't a movement of people. Because we can't fully trust people. We're all broken. People can't be fully trusted, but the Spirit of God can be fully trusted. That's the difference. It also reminds us that we cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. We cannot contain the Holy Spirit, right? We cannot manipulate the church because if we're not its, its founders, we're not its, its growers, the Holy Spirit, is we can't put God in a box and we can't manipulate the Holy Spirit to do anything. I, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, when I was a, a younger Christian, I used to uh, often you know, try and do the right thing, which is a good intention, to make God do the thing I wanted him to do. You know, we all do that, right? In some way that we could some way kind of act in a certain way in order to make him do a certain thing. It's no different when you get 
uh, doing church and ministry. There's so many people that want to train you. If you just say it this way, you just do it this way, you just do this program, you just do this formula, and the church is going to grow. The reality is the best we can do is get out of his way. Uh, That's what I've really come to understand. The best we can do is surrender to him, give him authority, and, and just focus on the things that get in his way. See, we can't manipulate him to do anything. He is, is a, a, a raging fire. He has a plan of his own. And the best we can do is just, is just focus on what might trip other people up from receiving him. What might get in the way of people hearing the gospel message? I, I was just recently invited to um, speak down at Bethel Seminary to uh, their women, female students, on what women should wear at the pulpit. So, you know, I mean, I understand they're, they're trying to cover all their bases. You know, I remember, you know, going through that kind of training, too. Um, but you know what I'm going to say? Focus on what you shouldn't wear. That's really all it's about. It doesn't matter what you wear as long as what you wear isn't in the way. That's all that matters. As long as what you're wearing isn't a stumbling block to others receiving the message of God. It, it's not like, well, if you wear closed toe shoes, they're really going to hear the Holy Spirit a lot more powerfully. And if your hair is done, boy, they're really going to have a good day with the Lord. You know, but we do these things. We laugh, but that's how we think. The Holy Spirit has a mind and a plan of his own. The best we can do is get out of his way. In fact, he works best when we simply trust Jesus instead of ourselves. That's when the Holy Spirit is at his best work. We've also learned that, that the Holy Spirit uses people, right? We, we, we mentioned that, and that's your next villain, that the messengers, the church, are the messengers the true people of God in the present era, right? Through his church. That's the through his church part of the theme. That, that every era has messengers. Now, I'm not talking about just specific people that are called to preach or to evangelize, but every era, God is raising up his church, his, his universal, faithful people of God that will submit themselves unto the kingdom through faith in the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Every era, is, is God is raising up his messengers. God is calling all of us to be his messengers. Because what changed the world in 30 years in the first century? People who encountered the resurrected Jesus and were then filled with the Holy Spirit. And then people who entrusted themselves to the witness and the teaching of the apostles who encountered the resurrected Jesus and received the Holy Spirit for themselves. That changed the world in 30 years. That's the first 30 years, I don't know if you noticed, that was the biggest, fastest growth in all history. So the messengers, God is always raising up messengers to testify to the Holy Spirit, to the power and the presence and the plan. How many of you remember the day that you and I became part of God's church? And what I mean by that is when, when your faith moved from religion, something you just believed in your head, to a personal relationship with the living Lord. It's radically different. I mean, God was far. We were seeking him. We wanted to know God, but he was far. We didn't quite understand. We didn't know how to hear him, receive his comfort, his strength, didn't know him, didn't have a personal relationship with him. And yet when we put our faith in the Lord, we receive the Holy Spirit for ourselves, and we become his messengers because we have the Holy Spirit in us, just like the first century church. It's radically different. God is no longer far. He's near. We begin to understand who God is. We begin to be able to share with others who Jesus is. makes a difference. How do we know that we have an encounter with the living God? How do we know that, that we know the Lord personally? Well, Romans chapter 8 
gives us that assurance. Read that this week. It's the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says, if you receive the Holy Spirit, now you know you know the living Lord. See? It, it, it didn't say, if you go to church and become a member, if you give so much, if you do so much, if you, if you say the right prayers. No, he said, if you, basically, chapter 8, if you, if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, you know the living Lord. How many of us wonder what happened to the disciples once they received the Holy Spirit and, and kind of, you know, a lot of them, as we're moving, we're going to move into Paul's journey. We, we don't know what happened to them. Remember that, that, that they were scared even after they saw Jesus resurrected. Before the Holy Spirit, they were confused. They were hiding. They, they didn't know what to do. Um, they, 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 were, they, were, they were not bold preachers of the word until when? Until the Holy Spirit was given to them and it transformed them and they became God's messengers. How many of us wonder what happened to them later? What kind of boldness did that carry through? Let me read to you a little bit of study either from the Bible or extra-biblical sources tell us that Andrew took the gospel north into Russia and then Scotland. Philip was stoned to death in Asia Minor. Bartholomew ministered in Persia, India, and Armenia. Tradition tells us that he was tied up in a sack and thrown into the sea. Matthew ministered in Ethiopia, Persia, the kingdom of the Parthenians, Macedonia, and Syria. Thomas carried the gospel to India. He was martyred by a spear in, in India. James, uh, he called himself James the Less. He wasn't Jesus' brother. So he called himself James the Less, the other James. James the Less, he took the gospel to Syria and Persia. Simon the Zealot took the gospel to Egypt as far as the British Isles. He was killed there for his belief. Thaddeus took the gospel to Mesopotamia near Turkey. John, James' brother and another son of thunder, pastored a church in a city called Ephesus in Asia Minor. But the Roman emperor got angry with him and sent him to live on an island for prisoners called Patmos off the west coast of Turkey, which is where he wrote the book of Revelation. Simon Peter eventually went to Rome, Italy, witnessed to the Roman emperor Nero. He was martyred upside down on the cross. See, there's a really fun song that I just downloaded recently. Um, I think it's called by a band called Unspoken. It's called uh, You Can Bury the Workman. And, 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 and the, the, the chorus goes like this, you can bury the workman, but you can't stop the work. See? It's the unstoppable progress. The Holy Spirit had made these messengers on fire. He made them bold. They were scared. They were bold. And sometimes I think we think, I don't know how to be a witness for Christ. I don't know enough theology. I don't know enough to tell people. And all God wants us to do is tell people the difference that Jesus made in our lives. The difference it makes in having the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That when we need the comfort and strength, we receive it. That God is no longer far. That we have the assurance that now when we die, we know where we're going. The difference that makes for us every day, that's all God wants us to tell us. And the Holy Spirit will help us do that. He will give us the strength that we need to do it. He will help us be unstoppable as well. I was talking to Kathy Dovinspeck this week, and, and she was saying that uh, Calvary Chapel Oceanside is also studying the book of Acts. And their theme uh, that they you know, call their series is um, A Church on Fire. And I thought to myself, well, if you put our two themes together, that's pretty awesome. A Church on Fire is unstoppable, right? That's really what we see in the book of Acts, right? And the church on fire is unstoppable. A church ablaze with the Holy Spirit is not on fire by our resources, our gifts, our talents, our money, our skills. On fire by the Holy Spirit for 
the plan that God has in place. The next fill-in then leads us to that, is the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we, as, as we turn then from the theme, I hope that you begin to understand the theme even more now than we did in the beginning of the series. We're almost about halfway through. And so now if you'd open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, we're going to look at our text today. Our text is, is, is a little bit, um, it, it's just kind of all over the place. It has different vignettes going on, and, and, and it has a little bit of review from last week. And so we're just kind of, we're going to jump around. We're going to do all of um, Acts chapter 11, and we're just going to continue really in many ways with the same theme that we've seen all the way through from Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and now 11, which is the outreach to people that are different from the Jews. That the gospel is for all people. We're going to see that same theme now in a different vignette. But it begins with, with a review from last week, really. And the review is that there is no partiality in the kingdom, right? That's your next fill-in. There is no partiality in the kingdom. That's what we saw last week, that when, when, when God challenged Peter with the vision to go to Cornelius, a Gentile's house, to eat with him, he was appalled, he was disgusted with that vision because that vision, remember, was a, was a sheet filled with unclean and clean food. And, 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 and even though the, you know, equality in the kingdom seems pretty basic to us, we're like, well, yeah, no partiality in the kingdom, God loves all people, we have to realize that how many times did the Lord have to speak to Peter to wake him up to that? I think over six times, if you count the, the, the repetitive revelation, uh, the instructions, the demands, the Holy Spirit had to speak to Peter six times. He had to repeat the, the divine revelation three times to get Peter to understand that there's no partiality in the kingdom. And I think that's just an honest wake-up for all of us, that we might say with our heads, sure, we get that. We know God loves all people. But when it comes to us loving all people, when it comes to us welcoming other all people that we're not quite comfortable with into our church, when it comes to going out to people that are different from us, we all, every single one of us, have our own prejudice. And we would be very smart to pray about that. Ask the Lord to reveal that. What is it in us? Peter's struggle was a Gentile because that was a Jewish prejudice. Peter's struggle was first a Samaritan. But we have our own prejudice, each and every one of us. And God continues to show us that in the book of Acts, we see no favoritism. That's another fill-in, right? We see no favoritism. Acts 10.34, we have on the screen for you as well, that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and who do what is right. We looked at that last week. And so it's for this reason that Peter is questioned by his fellow, fellow disciples. So let me just read verse 3 in chapter 11. See, they question him. Everything he went through last week, his fellow disciples, the apostles, they say, you went into the house of an uncircumcised men, men and ate with them? So again, this was their form of prejudice. And so, so they challenged Peter, that Peter had welcomed the Gentiles into the church. See, at least the Samaritans were half-Jews. I mean, now Peter's like, you're way outside the box now. Now we're not even talking about our half-brothers and sisters, but now the Gentiles were so unclean, so unholy, such a mess, right? And so they begin to give Peter a bad time about that. Because remember, up till this day, the believing Christians in Jerusalem were all Jewish. So this is another new movement to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. Peter repeats to them exactly what God did in verses 4 through 15. It's pretty much just a, um, a, a repeat of, of what the story that we had in chapter 10. And then I want to read 17 and 18 to you. So Peter repeats everything. 
And then he says, so if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who, who gave, gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, which he's talking about the Holy Spirit, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now, how can we make that real for us today? What if we were sitting down with a Mormon and all of a sudden their eyes are open and, and, and it's obvious that the Holy Spirit has been given to them and you're like, we're like, but you're, you go to the wrong church. You're not, you're not a member of the right church. You don't know all the right things yet. But, but you see that the Lord has opened their eyes and they're beginning to believe who Jesus is and they receive the Holy Spirit. They've got a ways to grow. But what God is saying is that you need to receive them. What Peter's saying is that if God receives them, who are we not to receive them? See, we said the same thing when we looked when we talked about maybe a member of ISIS. Remember, remember how Paul was a lot like ISIS. Remember, he he was he was that cruel. It says in the Word. If you translate the Scriptures correctly, he he did those kind of cruel things to the Christians, and yet it was clear after after some investigation that the Holy Spirit had come upon Saul. And therefore, the brothers like, if God receives them, who are we not to? And when we finally are willing to be stretched, when we're finally willing to, be, to get past our preferences, when we're finally willing to be challenged in our prejudices, when we're finally willing to change and to let go of what has always been. Remember, Christianity for them has always been nice and contained in the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, that probably felt good to Peter. It felt right. He didn't want to go out into the Gentiles. What's that about? But when we finally get past all that, what does it say? It says that the people then began to worship the Lord. See, their critique turned to worship. So when we finally get past our own prejudices, our own preferences, and we make the gospel about what God is doing and not what we want him to do, our critiques will turn to worship as well. And we'll begin to worship God for this amazing thing that he's doing that we could never have understood. I don't know if you've ever been with someone like that. Maybe you've done prison ministry when you think this horrible, callous person has done these horrible things. Obviously, though, the Lord has touched his heart. He's received the Holy Spirit. Who are we not to treat him like a brother or her a sister in Christ? And we began to worship God. There's no one that you can't reach. There is nothing that can stop you. That's an amazing thing. And our criticalness and our, our prejudice all turns to worship then. That, that's exactly really what happened here. And so from this time forward, from the Acts chapter 11, the inclusion of the Gentiles will be Luke's main focus. And he begins his focus with two vignettes. We're going to look at one today. We'll look at one next week. And after that, it's all about Paul's missionary journey. We kind of move out of Jerusalem completely. We move away from Peter soon. We move into Paul's journey to the ends of the earth. And so the, the, the vignette we, that we start with today that, that Luke gives us, it begins in a city named Antioch. And we have a map for you. Can you see the map on this? I want to show you. So you see Antioch at the very top there. And right down at the bottom, we see that line and it looks like little, two little lakes. Down at the bottom of that is, is Jerusalem down there. And so if you, if you went down by Jerusalem, down by that lake right at the bottom, and you went just west to the coastline, you would have hit Joppa and Lydda that we talked about, uh, and, and Samaria along the way that we talked about last week. And then now, now all of a sudden, the gospel is being burst out out of nowhere in Antioch. 
Here's, the, here's the, the crazy part. No one has gone to preach there. Peter's not gone there yet. Philip's not there. John's not there. Saul's not there yet. But all of a sudden, the, the, the Jews that were spread from Stephen's persecution, the believing Jews, started fleeing, and they started sharing the gospel with the Greeks in Antioch. This was all Holy Spirit led. It was very strategic of the Holy Spirit because it says that Antioch was a home of about 500,000 people, who very cosmopolitan, Romans, Jews, Greeks, even uh, Orientals lived there. It became the first multicultural international church from which we're going to see that all the other Christian mission launches from. And the Holy Spirit did something so far away that there's no way the apostles could, could even take any credit for it. And, 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 and the believers uh, there start sharing and witnessing to the, to the Greeks who live in Antioch. And we see that the, the gospel then expands geographically and expands culturally, right? John Fox said in, his, in, in the book of the martyrs, he said, in that age, every Christian was a missionary, see? It's not just about Peter and John anymore, see? It's about the church. See, the book of Acts isn't just about the apostles. The apostles play a very minor role. The book of Acts is about the beginning of the church, the universal church, and the spread of the gospel through the church. And we see this as this begins to break out. There's tools that help the believers do this. And and it's kind of interesting for those of you that like this kind of study. One of the tools was the same common language. Greek was the same common language. It's a great time for the Holy Spirit to do this. Um, it, but under the Roman Empire, they had kind of coined one language. The Roman Empire was so huge. So it was a great time for the gospel to begin to, to outreach to other people. Because Greek was the one language, so they could speak to, a lot of people could speak to each other. We also had um, um, synagogues. Synagogues were, were, Jewish synagogues were set up all throughout the region. And they were great places for, for the Jewish Jews to come and share new ideas. They would read scripture. They would kind of have an open commentary, if you will. So they were great places for believing Jews who already belonged to the synagogue to start talking about Jesus and how he actually fulfilled the scriptures. It was appropriate for them to do so. And the synagogues were already all set up out through the region. And when the synagogues shut their door to to that message, then the believers then opened their homes. We're going to see that in Paul's missionary journeys. And the synagogues would no longer have Paul or, or the believing Jews then they open their homes. And so you see that, that, uh, that we're all called to be witnesses on some level. And the result we find in uh, 1121, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. See, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so news of this is so huge that the Holy Spirit has come upon the Greeks without any official apostle being there. The news traveled to Jerusalem, the head leaders of the church, Peter and John, without the Internet. Remember, the news travels at that time period, that distance. This is a big deal. Everybody's talking about it. If you're, if you're a Jew, especially if you're a believing Jew, either way, you're like, something's going on up there. And so what do they do? They, 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 I love that they send uh, Barnabas. Bar- they send Barnabas to go, to go check it out, if you will. Barnabas then goes to Antioch. Perhaps he's, again, there's Barnabas for us. Perhaps he's the man with the biggest heart in the church, right? And he's so encouraged by what he sees. He can't deny it. 
They're praising God. They have the Holy Spirit with them. He doesn't know how it happened. He can't explain it, but it's real. And so he encourages them. He encourages them, as Barnabas always does. He encourages them to obey the Lord with all their heart. Now, this is, this is interesting to me because Barnabas uh, basically is so encouraged that he tells them, you know, keep going with it. Obey the Lord with all your heart. Remember, they don't have a Bible yet. They don't have theology. They don't have Bible studies. They don't probably even have a real church yet. So how are they supposed to obey the Lord with all their heart? Through the Holy Spirit. See, there's the central work and person of the Spirit who has birthed the church, who's going to lead the church and grow the church. I think that's interesting when Barnabas says, obey the Lord. He's basically saying, listen to the Holy Spirit that you've been given. He will guide and direct you. Obviously, he's done it so far. He'll continue to do so. It's a wonderful example of the the central person and role of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it leads us to our next villain, which is we have to pay attention to the Holy Spirit working in and through us. See, we have to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Remember what Peter said to the Jewish leaders who wouldn't believe in Jesus as a Messiah. Look with me on the screen in Acts 7.51. He said, you stubborn people... You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. See, the reason they couldn't see Jesus with the faith that they needed is they resisted the Holy Spirit. And Peter calls them out. He says, your ancestors from the beginning, though you wouldn't even listen to the prophets because you wouldn't listen to the Holy Spirit. See, you and I, a key part of our walk with the Lord is to listen to the Holy Spirit. Francis Jan uh, wrote a book called The Forgotten God. I just read it. It's really about the Holy Spirit. And his, his thesis is this. His thesis is that rationalism, rationalism has replaced the role of the Holy Spirit. That's his thesis. That, that the Western Christianity came, and, and now everything has to make sense. We don't want to look foolish to the world. We want to look like we're really smart and we have it all together. And so we've kind of ignored the Holy Spirit. But look at the key and central role that the Holy Spirit plays, see? The Holy Spirit is everything. He's the gift that God gave us that we can continue to be obedient. The Holy Spirit sets our faith apart from every other religion. It's not, it's not what we do. It's who we know, right? It's who we take our marching orders from. It's who we lean on in order to do it. It doesn't puff us up. It gives glory to God. It's about a personal experience of faith in Jesus and obedience to the Holy Spirit. Nothing less, nothing more. And if we look foolish to the world, the new Christians, the early believers, they accepted that. Because they knew it was all about receiving the Holy Spirit. This is what made them different from the Jews. They placed their faith in Jesus and they had the Holy Spirit and the Jews did not. That's why Paul later writes in Romans 8.12, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children. Let's continue our story and pick it up in 25, verse 25 and 26. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he found him, and he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. This was about A.D. 46 or so. And I love that Barnabas remembers Saul. Here's Barnabas, the great bridge builder again. He's always... He's always building bridges between divisions, whether it be culturally, now with the Jews and the Greeks, also with Paul and the rest of the apostles, but Saul at that time still. 
Saul is, remember, he's, he's kind of out on a personal sabbatical. He's kind of getting grounded in the Lord. And Barnabas remembers Saul. And he goes all the way to get him, and he brings him back. And Barnabas and Saul stay with the believers in Antioch for a year and disciple them. Evangelism, discipleship are key to growing a church. It's what it's all about. It has to be key for us as well. And the name of Christ must have been so often on Barnabas and Saul's lips because the, the, the Greeks in Antioch were, were really good with words, right? Good with philosophy, good with words. And actually in Antioch is where we first were termed Christian. See, Christ was on the lips of Saul and Barnabas so often that the Greeks named them Christians there in Antioch, which is your next villain. Antioch, Christians, Christ followers, they understood what it meant to follow Christ in this world. They called us Christians, and it's stuck ever since. I don't know how many of you understood that, but it's just fun to know where were we first called Christians. It was there. They understood that to become a disciple of Jesus meant to follow Christ in this world, see? We don't wait until heaven to start following Jesus, see? To be a Christian means we follow Jesus in the here and now. Christ, in his last instruction to us, said, to, to, to follow my commands, to go out and make disciples, teach them to obey everything I have commanded, meaning in the here and now, see? That's what it means to be a Christian, to follow Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit in the world today. And we have to ask ourselves, what does that look like again for us? What does it mean for you and I to be a Christian? What does it mean for you and I to follow Christ in the world today, in your world? Each one of our world is so different. What does that mean as a church in Shadow Ridge? What does that mean in our family? What does that mean in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces? What does it mean to follow Christ in the here and now? That's what Barnabas and Saul were training and teaching the Christians in Antioch to do. It isn't that God is looking for perfect people. He knows we're not perfect. He knows we're going to struggle. But God desires a people who are no longer living for this world but are following Christ in this world. See, that's our e-ticket, my friends. That's it. That's what repentance and faith is all about. That we turn from living for this world to living for Christ in this world. That's repentance and faith. And we grow into it. We progress in it. We mature in it. But that's what God is looking for. True Christians, his true church, those that are living for him in this world, in the here and now. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what we get out of our story today. Let's, let's close up our story in, in uh, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down to Jerusalem, to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. What a beautiful picture, right? Here is the Gentile church who, who wasn't even thought of in the first place, who then hear a prophecy of a Jewish believer that a famine is coming and that God wants them to give an offering to send to the, the church in Jerusalem, which is a Jewish church. And here the Gentile church opens up their resources, and you see this beautiful gift 
given to the Jewish church, you see for the first time Jew and Gentile solidarity in Christ. See, It's almost like the fulfillment of Peter's vision. Right? Peter, the vision that God gave Peter was the unclean and the clean food on the sheet all together, and he said, eat it all. And here we see it happening. That the unclean are ministering to the clean, and the clean are ministering to the unclean, and we are all one in Christ. See? It's a beautiful example of that. It's also a beautiful example of not only the unity that God would call us to, but that we would be generous to care for one another's needs, right? I think we do a good job within each other. I think our church is really strong in that. I think if Jesus were here, you know, like he does in, the Spirit does in, in Revelation, where he kind of reviews the different churches of their strengths and their weaknesses, I think the strength for us would be you really take good care of each other. You know what it means to love one another. But I think he'd say, do you know what it means to love the other churches? Do you know what it means to love missionaries? See, see, the call wasn't just that they would take care of their own in the famine. The call was that the famine's going to go through all the land, and the Spirit challenges them, I want you to take care of them. Because it's such a beautiful picture that we're all one family of God in faith. And when we give to others that are beyond ourselves, we're reminded that we're all one family. See, It's a beautiful picture of what God wants his family to look like. How does this speak to us today? Right? What's our take home? How do we how do we summarize it all and think about it and pray on it and act on it this week? The first is that as an evangelical covenant church, we are biblical. It's on your note sheet. We are devotional. We are missional. We are connectional. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Basically, we take our cues from the Word of God. That's our denomination, the evangelical covenant church. We talk about what that means to be evangelical. At the end of the sermon, we're going to have a, a, a short video. Some of you have seen it already. Some of you haven't. But it's just the 2015 focus. We'll get a new one in 2016. But what I want you to see is how we take our cues from the book of Acts. You'll see everything that we're doing is exactly what the early church did. It's pretty exciting when we look at that. The president of the, of the Evangelical Covenant Church, Gary Walters, wrote this. He said, we are committed to the mission because we love God and we love one another. So we seek to walk more closely with God in partnership with each other by being about our Father's business. And that's our next fill-in. We have to be about our Father's business. That's our next so what, right? God wants us to be about our Father's business, the big plan. We have to be intentional about mission, and the church will grow. And if we're not intentional, if we don't join the plan, we can't expect growth, see? And we can't wait for it. We have to follow after the role model that's been given us. We have to go out after it. That's the father's business. That's the shepherd who seeks, who seeks that one lost sheep and goes out of his way to find him. The father has sent his son. What are we doing with the son? See, what are you and I doing in our personal lives? What is, it, what is our church doing with the gift of the son? As we exalt the son, as we follow the son, as we serve the son, an old pastor that used to say, then we'll find our, our human destiny. Then we'll honor the Father as we exalt and serve the Son. That is our human destiny. To serve the Son honors the Father. That's what we were created to do. To be about our Father's business and then to set our focus on Jesus and Jesus only, right? That's what it means to be Christian. To set our focus on Jesus. <clears throat> on a church level, our church is not about anyone or anything else but Jesus. On a personal level, it means that Christ is within us, and that makes all the difference, see. 
The gift of the Holy Spirit means that you and I can face tomorrow. You and I can overcome that temptation. See, We focus on Jesus because the Holy Spirit lives in us. You and I can get the strength we need today. If we didn't have Christ within us, I couldn't assure you of that. It doesn't mean it won't hurt. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. But I promise you, he'll get us through. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and I. See, Because Christ is within us, we can die and be at peace. Because Christ is within us, we can become different husbands, different wives, different mothers, different fathers, different friends, different servants. We can be more and more and more like Christ. See, That is our hope as we focus on Jesus. And the church will flourish as we do so. All this leads to our key spiritual truth, which is our main take-home today. We wrap it all up, the summary of what we've looked at in chapter 11, which really in some ways summarizes what we looked at in chapter 8, 9, and 10 as well, which is God's plan of salvation is for anyone, I would underline that if I were you in your notes, anyone who is willing to follow Jesus, Christ Jesus, as their personal Lord and Savior in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's his plan of salvation. It's not rocket science. It's open to all. It's inviting everybody, but he wants us to be the messengers of it. People don't have to be like us to go into the kingdom. We don't all have to be the same. In fact, God's design was that in Christ, we would be one body overflowing with diversity, overflowing with diversity in culture, language, style, preferences, but we would be unified in Christ. See, that's our witness to the world that we find our peace in the reconciliation of Christ to the world. That's our witness. And we believe that the gospel is still at work today. Okay, do we believe that? Do we want to be a part of it? See, That's the invitation here. We want to go out and be a part of this grand plan that God has been doing from the beginning of time through Christ himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, We thank you that you love all people. We thank you that you didn't exclude us, Lord, for most of us in this room are Gentiles, Lord. Lord, if you were exclusive in any way, most of us would not be sitting here. We would not have comfort. We would not have hope. We would not have strength. We would only live in fear and shame and guilt. But because of your Son, Lord, we live in peace with you, peace with ourselves, and peace with one another. Help us to be those peacemakers, Lord. Help us to bring your peace to the world around us. Whatever that looks like in our work, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families. What does it mean to be a Christian in the here and now, Lord? Show us how we can truly serve you in this world today. And help us to be a part of your good work, Lord, as we wait for your return. And Father, we just give these gifts and offerings now as a a symbol of our worship unto you, Lord. We give out of faith and trust that everything good we have comes from you, not from ourselves. We give to honor you because you are worthy and we entrust ourselves to your care. And we ask that you would use these gifts, Lord, to further your gospel to the ends of the earth. We ask all this in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.